Good morning, church. Morning. I have a little bit of a cold today, so when I meet you at the door, we'll just do a fist bump, okay? That's a new way of protecting yourself against infectious diseases. I'm not trying to get hit your nose. Now, don't, don't take offense, you know. Okay. <clears throat> I think it was around 1990, I was a pastor of the Santa Monica Church at the time, and as we often did, on Sabbath afternoons, we got in our church van, and we went for a walk somewhere, a hike. And on this particular Sabbath afternoon, now it was a very hot day, we had decided that we were going to go up to the Hollywood sign. Now you can't go right to the Hollywood sign, you can hike around it. Although I just read somewhere that they're closing off all access to the area. But you know, you could hike around it. So it was an interesting hike because there are all kinds of hiking trails, there are horse trails. In fact, there are stables at the bottom of the mountain there below the sign. You can rent a horse, and uh, a guide on his horse will take you over the ridge underneath the freeway on the other side, the 101, or is it the 134, and then you can have lunch somewhere, there's stables there, and then ride back. So it's quite an experience. Well, we decided to go for a hike. And as I mentioned, it was a very hot day. And uh, I was kind of with the hikers out at the front, and my wife was coming up in the back uh, of the line, below us uh, on the mountain. And I got a little concerned about her because she, uh, she was, uh, her early years were spent growing up in Switzerland. And so she likes cold weather. And I like hot weather. So we have a conversation that goes on almost every day in our house. It's too cold, I say. She says, it's too hot back and forth, you know, and it's never resolved, really. Um, but I went back and I walked over to the edge of the edge of the fire road to look down the mountain at her and see how she was doing. I thought, well, maybe she should go back and rest in the shade there where the stables are and maybe get on the church van and wait for us to come back. I was going to shout my advice down the mountainside and as I walked over to the edge, my foot slipped on the edge like this, and I fell into a bush. Uh, I came down uh, in the bush with my left hand, left arm, just like that, and I heard a rattle. And something stabbed me right here between my first finger and my thumb, and I pulled it back and looked at it, and there were two little holes there with blood oozing out of either hole. Instantly, I concluded I had been bitten by a rattlesnake. <laughs> and it turned out there was a rattlesnake in the area, and some kids hiking in the area had been throwing sticks or rocks at the, at the snake, and it was pretty agitated. But I didn't know it was right underneath that bush. So I fell into the bush, and then I looked at my hand, and, uh, and I heard the rattle, as I mentioned. So I got up, 
And the folks around me, I said, I think I've been bitten by a rattlesnake. And I walked over to the other side of the fire break road and sat down in the shade. I went into kind of an immediate shock in reaction to this. And I was there for just a few minutes. And uh, my wife came up with some of the other folks. They had heard that something had happened to me. So she came up and I showed her what had happened. So what to do? And about that time we saw a couple of girls who were riding horses coming down another fire break road. So my wife went over to ask them if they could give me a ride to the bottom of the mountain. And they said, uh, no, we don't have insurance. <laughs> they didn't have insurance. So uh, we tied a, some kind of tourniquet around my arm and, and uh, I was leaning on somebody's arm, you know, and on one side and on the other. And we started walking down the mountainside. There was a good Spanish brother in our church and he volunteered, he took it on himself to run all the way down to the bottom of the mountain and uh, speak to the people who owned the stable. And they rented a horse and the owner of the stable on the horse came up to get me. So about halfway down the mountain, I had a ride the rest of the way on the back of a horse. And we got down to the bottom and they had called for the paramedics to come and so I went in the barn where it was cool, it was shady, laid down on a couple of bales of hay and thought about this. <laughs> this was bizarre. <laughs> I think I'm the only Seventh-day Adventist pastor in the history of the world to have ever been bitten by a rattlesnake. <laughs> I said, how could this happen? I said, this is, this is so unusual. I said to myself, this can't be happening. It can't be happening. But there was the bite and it began to swell and it hurt. So the paramedics came and they gave us a ride over to Kaiser Permanente on Sun, Sunset Boulevard and uh, into the emergency room. Well, the doctors and the nurses there had never treated a snake bite victim before. And they said to me, uh, did you bring the snake? I'm not making it up. They said, did you bring the snake? Uh, I said, no. They said, well, how do you know, how do you know it was a rattlesnake? Well, I said, I heard the buzz. You know, for 14 years as a pastor, I led church backpack trips every summer up into the mountains somewhere. Uh, numerous trips up uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains or even a couple backpack trips over on Catalina Island. So I had seen rattlesnakes and had avoided them uh, uh, as carefully as I possibly could. And I knew what a rattlesnake sounded like when its rattles buzzed. No, I didn't have the snake. So I said, well, I said, I heard it buzz. So they called um, CDC, the Disease Control Center in Atlanta and asked their advice. And they said, give him some anti-venin. Now, I don't know where they got it, 
But uh, they were, um, maybe it was another hospital in the area, they sent for it. And so as I was laying there, a doctor came through the emergency section of the Kaiser Permanente Hospital. He was going home. He was taking a shortcut, walking through the emergency room, and uh, he was going to the parking facility, the parking structure. His car was up on the second level, I think. So he just cut through the, uh, cut through the emergency room, and he saw there was some kind of commotion and confusion. So he said, well, what's going on? Well, they said, we have a man here who thinks he was bitten by a rattlesnake. So he said, well, I'm from Texas. I've treated a lot of rattlesnake victims. So he walked over to me and he took a one look at me and he said he's been bitten by a rattlesnake. Because if you've been bitten by a rattlesnake, you're, you'll have a little, verse, it's called a versiculation. It's a little tremor underneath your upper lip and it runs all the way from one side and then back to the, goes to the other side and then back again and around to the other side, back and forth. He just saw that little tremor running back and forth underneath my upper lip from side to side. Then he's been bitten by a rattlesnake. Well, they started me on anti-venin and uh, that was 18 units of anti-venin that I got. It did not stop my arm from swelling. My arm was swelling up to my elbow and then all the way up to my shoulder. They put me in a, in a room there at the hospital and, and uh, I was closing in on midnight and it was hurting worse and worse and getting you know, more and more swollen. And I think we were trying to call my parents and we picked up the phone and happened to look at the number of that particular phone, the phone number. And in the last four digits, uh, there were three sixes, six, six, six. Yeah. And so uh, that's why I call this sermon the mark of a beast, not the mark of the beast. You heard about the mark of the beast, you know. This is the mark of a beast. So about midnight, they decided to take me to surgery because my arm had swollen up so much, my hand had swollen up, that they said uh, uh, the pressure of the swollen uh, tissues will cut off the blood to the extremities, to the fingers. And uh, that's how people lose their hand, lose, the, lose their uh, ability to use their, their fingers. After this, uh, a little later on, I, I learned about a man out in Santa Barbara who had been bitten by a rattlesnake, and I called him up. And I talked to him about it, and he had been out, he'd done a lot of hiking and seen snakes, never been bothered. But one day as he was near Santa Barbara, as he was walking up a trail, going, uh, going uh, home, going back to the parking lot, he saw laying there in the, in the declining sunlight, he saw a rattlesnake. So he got a stick and he put it under the rattlesnake to flip the snake off the trail. And when he lifted the stick up, the rattlesnake slid right down the stick and got him in the hand. And uh, it was uh, such a serious bite that he said he'd lost the use of his, of his fingers. 
So, uh, you know, this was, this is a serious matter. So about midnight, they came for me, they took me down to surgery. And it was a young team of doctors and nurses in the surgery. It was kind of like going into a MASH unit. You know, if you ever saw the, the television series MASH, you know, they were joking, laughing. So you've been bitten by a rattlesnake, huh? So yeah, so well, we've never treated a rattlesnake bite before, but <coughs> I was so happy to be in surgery because my arm hurt so bad. And so they put me out I woke up a few hours later, you know, in my, in my hospital room. Now, I have a scar. I won't, I'll, I'll show it to some of the kids or whatever afterwards. But it looks like a rattlesnake. It starts in the middle of this hand, and it, it, we, it winds back and forth all the way down to my elbow, getting bigger as it goes, along with three scars on the back of my hand because they had to let the pressure out there. Now... <coughs> People came to visit me. It was amazing how many people showed up at the hospital the next couple of days. They'd never seen a rattlesnake, a pastor who had been bitten by a snake before. <laughs> this was a sight worth seeing. <laughs> conference president came. <laughs> Other conference officers came. <clears throat> Church members from Santa Monica came. I had a lot of company. And as they looked at me and I looked at them, they all seemed to have one question on their mind. How could God let, why would God let a rattlesnake bite Pastor Dahl? How could this happen? See? And you know, we kind of feel, don't we, in our heart, that if you're in the walking the straight and narrow path, you're serving the Lord, yeah. you're probably going to have a special angel or two, guardian angels, right? Mm -hmm. And was my guardian angel taking a nap? You know, <laughs> that thought crossed my mind too. Why did a rattlesnake bite me? Had I done something to forego God's protection? Now, you know that that's a thought that crosses our mind. Maybe uh, we've said some things or done some things, you know, and then a terrible calamity comes along and we think, well, maybe, maybe I had, I've chased away the Holy Spirit there. And uh, <coughs> the guardian angel was not uh, pleased with what I did or what I said. You know, and I reflected on all these things. What had I been doing? Was my tithe up to date? <laughs> because tithe payers, you know, they've, they've been given some wonderful promises, right? And I couldn't think of anything that I was doing wrong. And uh, the thought came to me that maybe this was part of God's plan for me in some ways. And I hear Christians say things like this frequently. Uh, God is in control. And uh, he lets certain things happen to us for our best good. Uh, but I have to tell you today that I, I, I question that, and I'll tell you why. I've seen some enormously terrible tragedies. After 49 years in the ministry, 
you encounter some uh, horrible, horrible things which just can't be explained. Uh, some of you remember the name Spangler. Uh, Elder Robert Spangler was a shirt-tail relative of my wife. He was ministerial secretary of the General Conference, an evangelist. He was respected by Adventist leaders all over planet Earth. He was one of our first evangelists to start uh, the Adventist work in uh, the former, formerly known Soviet Union in Russia uh, after the Berlin Wall came down. And one early morning, he and his wife and one of their daughters uh, were being transported down to LAX, Los Angeles Airport, and at 5 a.m., a lady driving a little Volkswagen uh, Beetle, bald tires, and she was drunk. At 5 a.m., she swerved right in front of their van, and their van rolled. Unfortunately for Elder Spangler, he had just taken off his seatbelt to turn around to get something from the back seat. And he was thrown out of the van and instantly killed. I recall going to that funeral service out there in Loma Linda. Huge funeral service. I've never seen such a pageant, such appreciation, such love for one gospel worker uh, that, that, that was evidenced there. It was amazing how respected and loved he was. And now, you see, did God decide that morning that Elder Spangler's van would be um, uh, knocked over by a, a drunk lady driving a VW bug. You see, did God suddenly wake up and decide that was going to be for his good? It's impossible to believe that. It's impossible to believe that, uh, uh, that what happened to Pastor Warren Schultz was for his own good. Now, I pastored Palmdale Church for three years, uh, doing the part-time ministry there. And a pastor years before, who was a cousin to one of my best friends in ministry, this pastor, Warren Schultz, had answered the call, he and his wife, to go to the mission field. And on the way to Asia, they stopped in uh, South Korea. And there's a great natural wonder in South Korea called the Taroko Gorge. It's like the Grand Canyon, but it's narrower. And they rented a car and decided to go see the Taroko Gorge. And somewhere along there, they, they found a, a place where you could pull your car out and park. They got out of the car, looked down into the ravine below, and uh, it, was a, it was one of the great wonders of planet Earth. But far up above uh, Pastor Schultz, a rock broke loose, tumbled all the way down the mountain, and just as he looked over at the scenic wonders below, the wonders of the Taroko Gorge, that rock hit him and instantly killed him. It was a boulder. It just instantly... Now, how could that be for his best good? He was on his way to do God's work, just like Elder Spangler was on his way to do God's work, and all of a sudden there's an accident or a natural disaster and their lives are taken. So I have to question that those things are part of God's plan for us. Yes. 
You see, terrible things happen to good people all the time. It's kind of routine, isn't it? I'm sure that every single person here has had someone whose life has, life, life has been destroyed or a family that's suffered terribly because of the loss of a family member due to, due to accidents, uh, due to crime, uh, due to dreadful disease. Does God send these calamities um, so that we don't get too comfortable down here on planet Earth so that we'll think about heaven more? Uh, it's possible, but I don't really believe that. I don't really believe that. Now, I want to bring some scriptures to you today, which have ministered to me as I've thought about some of the terrible things that have happened to brothers and sisters in churches that I've pastored. And as I, as I mentioned a minute ago, you, you don't have to have very many years on you to encounter uh, friends and family members who have suffered terribly because of things that have happened. And it's hard to understand how the Lord could let these things happen to us. I want you to turn with me if you have your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. I'll give you just one moment to turn there. The scripture reads this way. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant. Now think about that for just a moment. Usually we would expect that the fastest runner will win the race or the strongest warrior will win the battle. Or people who are very wise and very smart will have more of this earth's possessions and so their refrigerators will be well stocked. But the scripture says the race is not to the swift, the strong, the wise, or the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. You need to memorize the scripture. Time and chance happens to all of us. Chance. Now there is such a thing as God's providence. And of course God does let some things come our way that we might gain some spiritual message or lesson. But there's also something in life which, which uh, is just, you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. like Pastor Warren Schultz. Let's look at the next verse there in the passage. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. See? Evil times that fall unexpectedly on us. So now why did the rattlesnake bite me? I can't believe it was God, part of God's plan to have me bitten by a rattlesnake for my best good. And it doesn't help either to say, well, it was Satan that caused the rattlesnake to bite me because God is in control 
And so if he let the rattlesnake bite me, God made a decision that that rattlesnake would bite me, but I've already rejected that as an explanation. So why did the rattlesnake bite me? Simple answer. I put my hand, or I should say my hand, fell right in front of the rattlesnake's nose, and what do rattlesnakes do? They bite. It's no more complicated than that. Now, when I pastored Canoga Park Church, uh, uh, a lady uh, in the church, uh, her husband was out in the city, and he came to a street corner, and uh, he decided he wanted to cross, you know, uh, cross the street, one side to the other, nothing remarkable about that. Uh, but when he stepped out into the street, a bus came along. Now that bus, the mirror on the bus caught him. And he was trapped underneath the bus and died an excruciating death underneath that bus. Now had he stepped out when the light was red, or was the driver going too fast and trying to get through the intersection when the white light was yellow? I don't remember. But when that gentleman got up that day, the last thing on his mind was that he was going to be hit by a bus and killed. And this scripture says, moreover, no man knows when his hour will come, and no man knows when death will fall unexpectedly upon him. So bad things can happen to us. Now there's something we need to know about that before we get depressed or we get upset. I want you to go with me to another scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a scripture that you know, but you know it from the King James. In the King James Version, that scripture says, um, God, it says, everything that happens for our good, everything that happens for our good is from the Lord, something close to that. It's in the King James there. For our best good. But the NIV reads this way, and I want you to think about the meaning of this particular scripture. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's not that all things work for the good. This is a very important distinction. Not all things work for our best good that happen to us. The scripture actually says in a modern translation, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The thing itself, the disease, the accident, the illness, the crime that comes our way, definitely is not for our good, but we can be assured that in the midst of that, God's providence will be working and blessings will be coming to us. Now let's think back on the story I told you about my rattlesnake bite. I was laying there in the emergency room and no one in that, on that emergency room staff had ever treated a rattlesnake bite victim before. And just then, 
Somebody came walking through the emergency room. Who was it? A doctor who just happened to be from Texas and happened to be a veteran of taking care of rattlesnake bite victims. Do you think that was coincidence? I don't believe it. That was not coincidence. God was working through that event to bring me a very powerful message. And the message is this. We don't look carefully enough sometimes at the bad things that come our way. We don't look carefully enough at them to discern God's underlying providential care for us. Because if you really look at it, sometimes perspective will help. Maybe a little time down the road will help. You look at that event and you can see how God was working for our best good. And I learned a great lesson from that experience. Now, I told you about all the people that came to visit the pastor who got bit by the rattlesnake, you know. It was a lot of fun to be visited by them. I really felt the love. I really felt lifted up. You follow me? That's why when we come to the last judgment, Matthew chapter 25, the Lord is not going to be asking us how well we knew the doctrines. Did we get every cent of our tithe paid, all of that? We're going to be asked what we did for our neighbor, for our fellow man. Did we visit the sick? You see? Now, when I go to a hospital to visit some lady, I'm always very careful. If my wife can't go with me, I'm, I'm very careful. I send a nurse in to make sure that the lady is prepared for a gentleman visitor. Because some ladies like to have their hair just right or whatever. Maybe they're not feeling well enough for the visitor. But I can tell you this. Again and again, when I have visited people in the hospital, God has blessed me and God has blessed them because there's something about having a loved one or a friend or a church brother or a sister or a pastor come to see you when you're flat on your back that will lift you up. I went to visit one gentleman in the hospital. His wife was at his bedside. I had just started my prayer for him when he sat up unexpectedly and fell back on his pillow and died. But let me tell you something. His pastor was praying for him as he passed. You see? Now I hope to meet that brother someday in the kingdom and ask him if God was, maybe, maybe the Lord was keeping him going just long enough so he could hear the first words of a prayer. I don't know. See? But when you and your ministry as a deacon or as an elder of the church or a deaconess, when you go to visit people in the hospital, let me tell you, that can be very, very encouraging and healing to those people. That was the message that came, to, came through all this for me. So yes, in everything God works for our best good. I want you to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's on just a few pages where the Apostle Paul gave some thought 
to uh, the meaning of suffering. And you know the Apostle Paul had quite a bit of suffering in his life, didn't he? Yes, he did. When you read the story, uh, read uh, the book of Acts, you'll find out that the Apostle had made a list of all the terrible things that had happened to him in the course of his ministry. How many times he had been shipwrecked, how many times he had been beaten, how many times he had been in jail. He had, he had a whole list worked out. Now we would expect, wouldn't we, that God in mercy, God in mercy would bring healing to the Apostle Paul because if he was whole and well and strong, he could continue his ministry, continue his evangelization uh, of the areas to which he was sent. Uh, but the Apostle Paul tells us that he had a physical ailment. Do you recall that? Yes. He said uh, there was a thorn in his flesh and that three times he had prayed that God would take that thorn away. And uh, many scholars and Bible students have speculated about that thorn and they're pretty sure that it was an eye problem a serious eye infection that he had. Because at the close of one book, I think it's Galatians, he says, see, he said, I've written this clo the closing lines here in my own hand. And he mentions that the handwriting is, is very big. So he always had somebody else write down the messages for him. But that one particular verse, he, he signed it himself. And it could be because he, he had a serious eye problem. Friends, the, the Apostle Paul was God's greatest missionary, and he prayed three times that the Lord would take that thorn away from him, and the Lord sent him a message. Do you recall what the message is? My grace is sufficient for you. No matter what happens to us or to our loved ones, we can be assured of this that God's grace will get us through it. And if you've had experiences where your life has, you, you've been very close to, to losing your life, and you reflect on this, you'll, you'll be able to see in your experience God's providence, God's grace being uh, 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 sufficient for us so that we can get through and recover. What is the meaning of the suffering that comes our way? Well, the Apostle Paul, who had his own suffering, had reflected much on this, and in chapter 4, verse 7, um, uh, let's see if that's the scripture I'm looking for. You know, I put my sermon together a little at high speed this morning because Pastor Honus called me. I was just getting up. And give me just a moment to see if I can find that scripture. Well, I'm in 1 Corinthians. I said second, didn't I? That explains it. All right, you're all there ahead of me. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure that we have is the gospel, and the essence of the gospel is that God loves each and every one of us. 
Our bodies, our lives are jars of clay. And that means that we are very fragile. Our life can be broken and it can come to an end almost any time. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What keeps you going through the valleys of the shadows is the presence of God and his providence in your life. And that is a testimony to others. You know, we did, we had an anointing service uh, when I pastored out there in Lancaster. We had an anointing service for a lady. And uh, I had been called. She was from Ridgecrest and brought down to the hospital. And uh, I didn't know her personally, uh, but I knew family members. So would a pastor go to visit her? So I went to visit her and she, she did not look like a well person at all. And we had an anointing service for her right there. And I came back two days later and when I walked into the room, she was sitting up smiling and eating her lunch and she said, hi pastor. And when they had called me, they said, we think she's gonna pass away today. You know, and so we did an emergency anointing service and I come back two days later, I expected the hospital staff to tell me that she had passed on, but no, she was sitting up and smiling, hi pastor. You know, I have actually seen miracles. Yes. Two people that I have known in Lancaster who were members there were healed of cancer. There is absolutely no way it was anything short of being a complete miracle. But most of the time, God works providentially through the circumstances of our lives to bless us and others without doing uh, distinct miracles on our behalf. And he wants to display his all-surpassing power in us. Now the apostle goes on to say, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Are you hard pressed in your life with physical infirmities, with illnesses, with some kind of dreadful, dreadful disease? Are you hard pressed financially? Are you hard pressed by depression? The scripture says we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. There are times when we are, when we have a deep confusion about what to do, about where to turn, about whom to ask for help. But we need not despair. God's answer will come to us. The apostle goes on to say, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. That I think is the greatest meaning to suffering that we can find in the scripture. When we are suffering, we are connected with Jesus in his suffering on the cross. And the scripture said, 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It is through the hardships of life and our constant faith and our trust in God that God brings a testimony to other people so that they can understand that when they face the valleys of the shadow, the good shepherd will be walking through with them too. And verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our troubles are light and they are momentary and they are working in us to produce an eternal glory that will far outweigh those troubles. That's something to think about when we're in deep trouble and distress. That God is going to do something through our hour of extremity that will result in glory for him and a glory that we will be able to share with others and in eternity as well. There are reasons why God lets, lets these things happen to us. According to 1 John, we know only in part now, someday we're going to know fully. And there will be questions that you'll have in your life about things that have happened. When you get into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus will be right there and will be able to answer those questions if you're still interested in having the answer. You know what? I don't think I want to I reflect back on a lot of bad things that have happened in this life. Do you? There have been so many terrible things happened, I would just like to permanently forget about them. But if I need a reason to feel better in eternity about the things that have happened, Jesus will be right there and will give me that reason. Amen. Friends, let's not give up our faith in the goodness and power of God. But we live in a real world. We live behind enemy lines and bad things are going to come our way sooner or later. But if we look for the goodness of God, if we look for the providence of God, we will never be disappointed.